for, uh, for giving us people who can show us the grace, compassion, mercy uh, that he shows us through, um, through uh, his, his, uh, his people that he uses. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for a time that we get to open up your word and study it. I pray this morning that uh, as we look at uh, a story that, that your son, you, God, uh, preached to us, God, let us see uh, the meaning in it. Let us up, not just apply it to our life, but let it uh, abide in us. Like, uh, like Paul tells us in Colossians, let, God, we pray that these words from you would dwell richly in us, that like God, we would begin living by them, um, not just words that seem good and seem right, but to know that it is truth and it is the only words to live by. God, help us this morning to um, to be moved by you, changed by you. God, if so needed, convicted by you. And then let us respond to you in a way that brings honor and glory to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to study uh, the second to last part of the Sermon on the Mount together this morning. Uh, Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. We've been talking about, for the past three weeks now, uh, about a particular set of scripture or text here that Jesus is really hammering home really the foundation of uh, what the Sermon on the Mount is about, uh, really warning us about uh, the fact that in the coming days, particularly with these disciples, in the coming days there are going to be false prophets, there are going to be liars, there are going to be men and women who come as uh, looking like sheep, looking like people who belong to God or the people that belong to God, but instead they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're going to be teaching you things that sound right, that sound good, but are not pointing people or yourself to or themselves to Jesus. And so then we saw that as Christ warns us about these things, he he tells us to be uh, people who have a a holy skepticism, that really we're discerning people. We're looking to see if the tree is bearing fruit, particularly the fruit that the kingdom of God should be producing, fruit that uh, is described in the book of Galatians that Paul writes to us, fruit that really models what Christ has taught in the previous verses in Matthew 5, 6, and chapter 7, modeling these behaviors that Christ desires for his people, the people that belong to him, those who have who have confessed Christ as Lord, who recognize that he is King of Kings, that he is Lord of Lords, that he owns their life. What should their what should their behavior look like? And last week we, we talked about some heavy uh, some heavy words from Jesus about when he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, only those who do the will of the Father. He puts this stipulation upon those who belong to God, those who are doing the will of the Father. And as we challenge you last week, my hope is that daily you are looking at being obedient to Christ and Christ alone. There's nothing else or no one else that you desire to be obedient to because you recognize the love, the mercy, the genuineness, the purity, the righteousness that only comes from Christ. And by seeing that, you recognize that He and He alone deserves obedience. And then we get to this story that Jesus tells. Like any good preacher, he's got a story within his sermon. 
And we get to this story where he really hammers home what's most important or what's centered around the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, the thy will be done. And about these words, what will we do with these words? Verse 24 says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So a quick question for you. You can write it down if you'd like. Does it really matter where you build your life? And then the second question is, where is solid ground? Where is solid ground? Some of you are familiar with uh, the ground around here and know that it's really, really rocky. And But it all, at the same time, there are places where it's really, really sandy. So does it matter where you build your life? And if it does, and the answer would be, according to Scripture, that it does, that it matters, where is solid ground? Everyone then who hears the word, these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So the, the people who hear the words from Jesus and not only apply them to the life and let them dwell richly in their life, but are actually walking in them, modeling them, giving evidence to them. They're not false prophets, but instead they're, treat, they're trees who are bearing fruits of the kingdom, are fruits given to them by the Holy Spirit. These people will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 25 says, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. So, so Jesus tells a story about someone who's listening to him, being obedient to him, not just applying the words that he is given, but actually living them out, letting them richly dwell in them, letting them be the foundation of their life, and when a storm came, maybe particularly we're familiar with these, a severe storm came, during that storm, they still stood. They did not fall. Think for a moment. We'll answer it maybe here in a second. But think about the storms, symbolically or metaphorically here, that Jesus may be talking about. If we just jump back a couple of verses there, we see a storm of false prophets. Symbolically, metaphorically, this storm that's trying to knock you off the foundation that you're on, the life that you're building, when the false prophets come in, they begin sharing these things that seem right, that are tempting to follow, that may be a distraction, may uh, lure you away from what's right. What are you going to do during that storm? My assumption is, is that most everyone in this room has faced some sort of storm in their life. Maybe it is a physical storm that you've battled through. Maybe it's an illness or a disease that you're battling now. Uh, maybe it's as we spoke earlier about orphans who are battling the storm of not having a mom or a dad uh, doing the things that moms and dads are supposed to be doing. M maybe you're a parent who's lost a child and you're battling through that storm. Storms come in a variety of different ways. Think about the storm that's happened to you just last week as you opened up your mailbox and you received some sort of letter, bill, or something that you weren't expecting. In a storm, the winds began to blow, the rain began to fall, and you think, how am I going to handle this situation? Think about construction zones. How small they may be, we're, we're experiencing some of those in our town, but how devastating it can be to you. When you see a, 
a construction zone. And how do you respond to the construction zone? I saw a bumper sticker yesterday in, in the great state of Texas that said, I'm not drunk, I'm just avoiding potholes. And I thought, wow, is that, is that like a Lovington Chamber of Commerce bumper sticker? You know, maybe it is. How do we respond to these storms in life? Jesus then tells the opposite of this story. He says in verse 26, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I mean, simply stated, you, you already received and you already understand this, solid rock is foundation that's never moving. Sand is always shifting, always changing. It's not a solid place. And so because of that, when storms come, your foundation is moved and you fall, S simply stated. When David and I were fishing in Malaysia just a few weeks ago, we were fishing on, out on the, on the beach, on the ocean, and as the waves would come in and my feet are, uh, is firmly planted in the sand, as the waves went past my feet and went back out into the sea or the, to the ocean, the sand went with it, and I lost my footing a number of times. And I'm going to use that as excuse of why I didn't catch any fish that day, okay? Because I had a poor foundation. How often, though, do we see that when those storms of life come, and our footing is rocked. When we look down, do we see where we're, where we're standing, where our feet are placed? Storms always test your foundation. No matter how small or great the storm is, it will always test your foundation. Believer, if you're not firmly planted human person in this room, if you're not firmly planted in Christ, when the storm comes, your feet and your body and your life will fall because you're not firmly planted in Jesus. How do you respond to construction zones? How do you respond to uh, letters or emails or, or tweets or texts that you weren't expecting? How do you respond to a uh, diagnosis that you did not ever uh, think that you would ever experience? How do you respond to simply stated? How do you respond to uh, the wrong order given to you at the dinner table, at the restaurant that you're at? If you're not firmly planted in Jesus, you don't handle these situations like his word has taught us to handle these situations. I mean, go back just a few verses here. Uh, go back to, uh, let's go back to chapter 5. Start in verse 43. And you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. So do you see here, rain, the story, the storm is coming. How will you handle this? If you're a person belonging to Jesus, your behavior will model what he has taught here. Christ calls those who do not respond like he has commanded response in this particular situation as a foolish person. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So I would say this to you this morning. If you have enemies and you are not praying for them, you are not following what God's word, his son, himself has taught us to follow. And so... 
in light of what it says here in chapter 7, verses 24 through, through 27, we would be foolish people to do away with what God or Christ has taught us to do. The thing about the solid foundation here that Christ is talking about is something that we are really, at the root of who we are, longing for. Most people in this room this morning, and most of the people that you know, are longing for security. They're longing for security, and they're longing for safety, and they're longing for comfort. So that when those, storm, when those storms do come, you feel safe, you feel secure, and you feel comfortable. I remember uh, when I was a child, uh, we were at a Little League baseball game. I'm out in the outfield, and the storm began approaching. And I think I've got to trust my coaches, my parents, the adults here to pull us off the field when the right time is. Because if it was for me, I would be running right now. And not to home plate, but to home where I felt safe. And I remember finally the lightning was close enough and the, and the, and the wind was strong enough and the uh, threat of the severe storm was, uh, was mighty enough that they called the game and said, you guys go to a place of safety. And so we jumped in the Suburban and along with another friend and we went to the grandparents' house uh, where the storm cellar was. And inside the ground in this concrete, firm foundation, inside this place, I felt comfort and security and safety. I felt like nothing could destroy me at this moment. And as the storms came across uh, that particular land, and as the rain and the wind fell, and the hailstones hit the, the door of the storm cellar, I remember thinking, nothing will destroy me in this place of security. Nothing will destroy me in this place of security. And that's what we're longing for. We're longing for a stable, solid ground. You're seeking it every day. What am I going to find safety in? What am I going to find security in? What am I going to be able, where will I be able to find the solid, stable place to rest my life upon so that I may rest? And so we work long and tiresome hours thinking that at some point I will find that place of stability. And Jesus says we're like foolish people. Because we don't place our feet upon him, the rock. But instead, we place it upon things that are fleeting, things that are going, things that are going away. Turn to the book of Acts. It's the record of the New, the New, Test, or the New Testament church. It's the record of, of uh, the acts of those uh, apostles, those early disciples, uh, what God, how God was using them to establish and build his kingdom here on earth. Acts chapter 16 I'm going to point you to a story here that I think represents well what Christ is talking about. Remember, storms will always test your foundation. You and the people of this world are, are desperately searching for a place of security. We meet up with some, some solid characters here in the book of Acts. Uh, Dr. Luke writes this story down in Acts chapter 16. We'll start in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So this little girl could tell people's fortunes. 
She could read their palms, or uh, she played out cards, and she she uh, she was being paid or paying her her owners on telling people's fortune, telling what their life may be like. And she she was by the words here that were recorded for us. She was making lots of money for those that that owned her. So uh, these uh, so she verse seventeen she followed Paul and us crying out these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation I mean what a message this little slave girl is is sharing here though it seems like she's demon possessed for some reason in this moment she's proclaiming to the world that Paul and the men that are with him are proclaiming the good news of salvation uh, from the most high God. And like any good youth minister, verse 18 happens. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. I'll just side note here. I've tried this in student ministry with the little girls that are annoying and annoying. Brian and I are just talking about trips, youth ministry trips, and I've tried to cast out demons from these children who I think are filled with the demon, and it didn't just it didn't work just like he did. Paul, being greatly annoyed in this moment, uh, turns to the spirit that's inside of her and says, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her, and it came out of her that very hour. Great moment here. We're seeing the power of God at work. We're seeing Jesus uh, being uh, shown his glory, his power. He's above all things. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So what happens? These slave owners who own this little girl who's filled with a demon, who they're making money and profit off of, who they're finding security and comfort in, they're finding great gain in this particular little girl. Their solid foundation happened to be uh, in uh, using this girl to gain profit in their own uh, for their own life. When they see this, their world is rocked. They're having a little storm in their own life. Rain is falling, wind is blowing, uh, thunder, lightning. All these things are happening in their own life. And so they bring Paul and Silas before the people. Verse 20 says this, And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. I mean, basically in verse 21 what they're saying is, they have a different foundation than us. What they're building their life upon is different from what we're building our life upon. And I don't like how they're building their life because it's, it's, it's affecting me. So please remove them from this situation because what they're building their life upon is taking away from the gain that I, that I think is most important in life. And so what happens? Verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them to keep them safely. What a, a cool moment. So Paul and Silas, being followers of Jesus, cast a demon out. A little girl who was a slave both spiritually and physically, they just freed her from spiritual slavery. She recognized that they were people who belonged to God, 
the Most High God, that they know the way to salvation, and they release her from that moment. And then in that, people recognize that their foundation in life is much different uh, than, their, than the customs or traditions of their own. So they begin persecuting them, beating them, and they throw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. It's ironic, really. Hey, we just beat them up. We have greater punishment planned for them. We're going to think about this for a moment, what we're going to actually do with them. But in the meantime, keep them safe. Keep them safe. It's ironic. The word here, if you want to write this down, the Greek word for keep them safe, the Greek word literally means to keep them firm or keep them steadfast, keep them safe, keep them secure, keep them from falling. Verse 24, So having received this order, he, the jailer, put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. He said, My task is to keep these people, these two men, Paul and Silas, my task is to keep them safe. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put them in the inner prison. I'm going to put them in the innermost place, the place where I I feel is the most secure, the most safe. And then when I put them in that innermost place, I'm going to fasten around their feet an even another form of safety, another form of security, so that I know for their safety and for my own safety that they will be secure and safe in this place. I mean, he's thinking this is a firm foundation place. This is a place of not comfort necessarily, but a place of security, a place of stability, a solid place that nothing Nothing, no harm will come to them in this place because I am watching over them and I am keeping them safe. He put them into the inner prison and fastened them. Greek word for fastened there, I make secure. Fastened their feet in stocks. He made them secure, so he thought. And then this is what happens. Remember Paul and Silas, their foundation is different. See, the jailer... And the rest of the people, they put their stability and strength and security and comfort in things of the world. And so the jailer, having had this job for a number of years, let's say, had this jo- he's had this job and he knows uh, that this innermost place is secure and stable. It's firm. Nothing's going to happen to them. He puts them in the place of security. Paul and Silas because their life has been transformed and is being transformed by Jesus, their foundation is different. And so even in the midst of prison, even in the midst of the world trying to fasten them down, even in the midst of the world trying to give them safety and comfort, their foundation is based upon Jesus Christ. So about midnight, verse 25 says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Their foundation is different. How many of you in prison would be scheming, would be thinking of ways, how am I going to break out of these shackles? How am I going to bust out of this inner cell that has no windows? How am I going to get out of this thing? How do I send a text? How do I send an email? How am I going to get out of this particular 
situation that I am. The difference is the jailer had the sole responsibility of keeping, firmly keeping the prisoners secure. His whole job was locked up in keeping the criminals bound up. Paul and Silas being transformed by the gospel, being transformed by Jesus, their whole life is to represent their firm foundation of Jesus. And so they began singing. They began singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, verse 26 says this, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. An earthquake. Let's call it a storm. It's, it's nothing that's it's happened before. They're familiar with earthquakes. I'm sure the jailer had experienced something similar before. And maybe he thinks as the ground begins to shake, oh, praise myself that I've put these prisoners in the inner prison and shackled them with myself making them secure in this inner prison because here we go, an earthquake. I've experienced earthquakes and storms before. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was was shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. You remember how he securely fastened them? He made secure. And yet here comes God working and breaks the security of the world. The things that we trust in so much. I'm going to put my trust in this and this and this. The things of the world and God saying, I rule over all those things. Put your trust in it if you so desire, but you're not getting anywhere. Put your trust in me and you will see what life is actually about. The jailer, again, his sole responsibility was to firmly keep the prisoners secure. His whole job was locked up in keeping the criminals bound up. His job was to make them secure, keep them safely, not from falling. And yet the jailer failed. The chains were unfastened. The chains failed to uphold. They let go. Verse 27 says this, And when the jailer woke and he saw that the prison doors were open, He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Do you know people like this? Storms of life come, and they only see one out. They think that the only way to overcome the storm that they're in is to take their own life. I see what's coming my way. I see the wind. I see the rain. I see the the lightning, the, the, the thunder. I see it all coming my way. And I see no way out. Their eyes aren't focused on what they should be focused on. Their foundation, their feet aren't uh, firmly planted on the things that life is supposed to be about. When the jailer woke and he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. You guys know. You know people are in desperate situations. The things that we mentioned earlier, even the small things like spilt milk or construction zones, when your feet aren't firmly planted on something, you look at life and you say, oh, miser- how miserable is this moment? This diagnosis that I've received, this bill that I've received, this, uh, this plea that I'm pleading with that I, that I can't get out of, you think there's no way, there's no way out. This jailer saw it 
not only would he lose his job, but he'd lose everything, so he thought. And so instead of trying to, or having to face the magistrates and face the people, instead of having to deal with the situation, he decided that he would take his own life. Maybe in that moment, maybe he had a a longer thought process. Maybe it was, I've experienced this before and I thought this would work. And the last time we had an earthquake, I, I did this and this and this and these things worked. Why is it not working now? My life is over. I've lost everything. And ultimately he said, there's, there's no hope. And storms every time challenge our foundation. They show up in many forms. I mean, think through God's word. Serpents, brothers, queens, lions, giants, Kings, fire, loss of children, loss of land, loss of possessions, loss of life, no food, no drink, slavery. We see that throughout the Bible. These storms that approach us. Think about your own life, things that we've already mentioned. Loss of life, bills, letters, texts, emails, Facebook posts, middle school girlfriends, wrong orders at the restaurant, autocorrect. Has not autocorrect almost ruined your life before? Loss of job, divorce, custody battles, oil prices, health, wealth, construction zones, spilt milk, traffic, whatever it may be. Storms come, small, large, great. How do you respond to it? Paul, Silas, being changed by Jesus and being trusted with the gospel, placing their feet firmly on Jesus Christ, Cry out with a loud voice. Verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Now think about this for a moment. This jailer in this simple story where his life could have ended begins to fill with hope. And he began to fill with hope because the words of Jesus and the light penetrated his life. And the jailer called for lights. Think for a moment when you're in the midst of the storm, how dark it seems. What do you need most? You need light. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. First Peter 2, 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The only way to see your where your feet are planted or what you're standing on in the midst of the storm or darkness is for light to be shown light to shine into the place that you're at. And the only way for that to happen is that you would hear the words of Jesus, you would hear the words of God, and let them richly dwell in you. So in the midst of the storm, when the rain falls and when the wind blows and the storm seems like it's never going to end, you hold on to the words of God. What happens? Verse 30, then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Basically, what they're saying is, Believe in Jesus, plant your feet upon him, the rock, 
and your life, your life and your house, or those who are under you, will also be firmly planted in Jesus Christ. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them, verse 33 says, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Just moments before the storm was wrecking his life. There was no hope. It ends now. And then moments later, his hope placed in Jesus, his life firmly planted in Jesus, his whole household begins to be saved. His life begins to change. And he rejoices greatly because he believes in God. His foundation changed forever. Storms test your foundation. Your response may show who your God truly is. The jailer thought in the moments before his salvation experience, the jailer thought that his foundation was in himself, in the shackles, in the, in the, the concrete cell that maybe he even helped build. And then storms came and wrecked his foundation. They began to see that his foundation needed to be in something more stable. And in your own life today, you have to ask the questions to yourself. Where you build your life doesn't matter. And if it does, where is solid ground? I'd like to just tell you this. My solid ground is seated at the right hand of God. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. He has conquered sin. He has removed it as far as the east is from the west. He has conquered death, meaning nothing is above him. My hope is this, that you would see, if you have not already, Christian, unbeliever, whoever you are this morning, Christ is it. Believe in the name, believe in Jesus, and you will be saved. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. A time that we can be reminded of what's most important. Now thank you for giving us life and life eternal. Thank you for giving us your words that we can study, that we can live, we can live by. God, motivate us through your Holy Spirit this morning to seek you and you alone. God, help us to be firmly planted on the only solid foundation in this world, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's sing a song of invitation together, basically inviting you to respond to whatever Christ is, is dealing with you this morning on. So let's stand, let's sing together. On nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Sinking sand. When dark 
darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. And every high and stormy gale, my 